Hey, Amarillo. I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey, Amarillo is supported by the Discover Amarillo app. This free download is designed to be a resource for new Amarillo residents and anyone else who wants to keep up with local events, activities, shopping, businesses, and more. It even maintains a list of family-friendly restaurants with Kids Eat Free offers. You can find out more at discoveramarillotx.com or head to your app store of choice to download Discover Amarillo today. That's the Discover Amarillo app, available for iPhone and Android. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Rockwood Furniture, online at rockwoodfurnitureco.com and to Amarillo National Bank at anb.com. The new September-October issue of Brick and Elm is on newsstands today. It's out in the world, and it's great. You can read the free e-edition of the magazine at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Donovan Blair. Donnie lives in Amarillo, but he travels all over the world as the bassist for the rock band The Toadies. The Toadies are performing here in Amarillo on September 15th. It's coming up next week. The band rose to fame in the 1990s. You may have heard their hit song, Possum Kingdom. And Donnie joined the band in 2008. But he's been a musician for decades. He's recorded 17 albums. He holds a first-degree black belt in Taekwondo. He's practicing jujitsu. We talk about those things. He's the author of the memoir, Even If It Kills Me, a book about martial arts, rock and roll, and mortality. We have a lot of things to talk about. So here's Donovan Blair. Donovan Blair, welcome yes, to the Hamarillo podcast. Thank Thanks you for again being for here. having me. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you here. I am eager to hear more about your story, and I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's to ask why you're in Amarillo. So how did you end up here? <laughs> Great question. Um, I am from Sherman, Texas. It's about 45 minutes north of Dallas. Okay. Great place to grow up, even better place to leave, you know? All right. And uh, we did that, thankfully, my brother and I did, and I was in Dallas having a great time, and then met this beautiful, gorgeous farm girl from Perryton, Texas. Actually, Farnsworth. She's not even from Perryton. Okay. Farnsworth, Farnsworth, Texas. Farnsworth. Shelly Thurman at the time, she just, I knew she was the one, you know. Hmm. And so we lived in, we lived in Dallas probably like 10 years and we got married in 94. So we've been together about 30 years now, you know, and Dallas had just kind of worn its welcome with us. The bands I had been in were just kind of not doing anything and didn't necessarily want to move to Amarillo, you know, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. She had a great job at Hastings okay. and a great job offer. She'd been out of the music business for a bit, wanted to get back into it. And this was her perfect entree into it. And in hindsight, it was the best thing we could have done. We okay. were able to have a life here. Have a, I mean, you know, you know, it's, uh, I don't, are you from here as well? I am from here. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Born and raised. So. Trust me. It's, it's a great place, you know, to it. It took me a couple of years to get used to that. That it was such a really nice place. I wanted to go back to Dallas and all of this stuff. I left a small town like mm-hmm. this. I didn't know, you know. And eventually, after about four or five years, I realized, oh, we're in an amazing town, you know. But anyway, uh, we just decided to kind of move back, you know, move here and just be able to 
have a good life for ourselves, okay. which we couldn't do in Dallas. It was traffic, you know, 45 minutes on a good day, you know, to come back and where we lived, which was close to Deep Ellum, whereas where my wife worked, we just kind of got sick of it, yeah. living in apartments. And we were only in an apartment maybe a year and a half when we moved here. And then we were able to buy a house. Okay. And just, oh my gosh, we can't believe we can afford a house here. You know, people are nice here. Oh my God. <laughs> did, uh, did you always like, you know, when you're going to high school and growing up in Sherman and stuff like that, did, did you know that you wanted to sort of move into music? Yes. I mean, was that yeah. just, that was your thing or? Well, I don't know. Honestly, that's a really good question. It was just something that we just kind of, my brother and I worked into. My father was a disc jockey our entire lives. Okay. And just, we were surrounded by music, all of it constantly. I mean, my mom listened to soul. My dad listened to rock. So it was just constantly all around us. And from about the time I think I was... 1985, when I started playing bass, I just fell into it. You know, my brother had a guitar, and I just started playing that. But I wanted to play bass. I don't mm -hmm. want to play guitar. Bass is where it's at. Exactly. One note, you're good. Yeah. So, <laughs> if it takes the right. It takes the right personality. There's a personality that plays lead guitar. There's a personality that is attracted to the bass. And if anyone is personality my, that plays the drums, it totally know? is. And if anyone has seen my brother Zach Blair, he's in a band called Rise Against now. He is made to play the guitar, mm -hmm. you know, made for it. I'm made to play the bass. I want to stand in the back. I don't even want to, want to look at me. I just want to play the bass. Okay. Leave me alone, you know. There's a lot of kids that, you know, grow up playing the guitar, have exposure to music. They think, okay, I'm going to be a, a musician. I'm going to be in a band. A lot of dreams like that. <laughs> very few of those dreams actually find fulfillment. Yes, very few. Um, <clears throat> yours did, but like... Tell me what the process was, because I imagine okay. it was not a straight line. No, that's no. Well, we started literally in our bedroom. Uh, my brother would, uh, we had apartments. So Zach would practice jumping off of our bed and he would hit our ups, you know, the lamps mm -hmm. that would cover uh, the little shielding that would cover. He would break, I think, I think he broke probably 15 of those things trying out his Pete Townsend moves sure. from the who, you know. And those are important moves. I mean, you got to master those first you before know you can even They've play. They've come in handy right? with that kid. They have come in handy with that kid, I, seriously. But we just, in Sherman, there was no scene at all. Um, and we just believed in ourselves. We believed in each other, you know. We still do. So we had just ourselves and our dream. And so many people were like, ah, you're not going to do this. You will not do this. You will fail, except our parents. Hmm. Our parents did not have any money at all, really. But we, if we needed strings, we had strings. If we needed an amp, we had an amp. They went without so we could do this, you know. And so we finally just went to Dallas. We started going every weekend and playing gigs and playing and figuring out more and learning more and believing in ourselves more and more and getting people to liking us like oh wow you know we would add a different member mm -hmm. you know and that would be a new thing people would like that so we would just keep playing and playing and it just evolved kind of our natural personalities okay. what were you calling yourselves back then uh, that band was called hagfish okay. it sounded like the ramones and the yeah. descendants you know we were very 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 had a lot of attitude and I'll tell you later off, Cam, off the <laughs> microphone, some stories. 
they're a little blue, so I'm not going to sure. go blue, uh, that's, Jason. That's, that's how uh, that's how I'm sure uh, people imagine that life was. So. Yeah, and it's um, and it just kind of that band kind of broke up. We toured the world literally. I think within one year, I got married in 1994. We made our second record, which is our first major label record, in '95. And before I had gotten my first anniversary, which I missed because I was on tour. Hmm. We had toured um, probably 10 times and hit Europe three times and made a record. Wow. All on the space of from February to December. And we just kept doing that and kept doing it. And we kind of burnt ourselves out Mm -hmm. a little bit. And my brother went off into this uh, shock metal uh, band called Guar. Mm -hmm. He kept doing that for a while. And we both were just doing other bands. And we had one that was we were together. And we would open up for this brand new punk band that was rising up on the scene called Rise Against. And um, out of the clear blue, they needed a guitar player. So they gave my brother the gig. They okay. were like, gig is yours. And it was great. And the band we had been in kept out for a little while longer, but I didn't want to do it without my brother. Yeah. So I quit. Like, ah, I don't want to do this. And then... I found the toadies, and I'm sure that's another story. We well, whenever you're ready, <laughs> we'll we'll get to that part. Tell me, tell me what it was like, you know, touring during that that one year, you know, with the Hagfish. Insane. And people, I, I know, like we we have maybe a romanticized idea of being a, a rock musician, being on yeah. tour, going to you know performing these concerts. I know the reality is probably different from yep. that. It is. So let listeners know a little bit about. Okay. What that's like, you know, kind of yeah. kind of pull the veil aside. and Oh, yeah. It is at once the most fun thing you're ever going to do in your life. And at the other one, the most awful mm-hmm. because you're away from the ones you love. You get jealous of seeing old couples just hanging out. Like and if you go to like an Applebee's on a Wednesday and you have the day off and you're really jealous of that guy or yeah. I am, you know, but at the same point. You're with your buddies. You're making music. You're going to go. You just played a really packed out club the night before that people loved you. And it's a nice feeling to write music, be on stage in Mm -hmm. front of strangers that have no idea who you are or where you're from. They just love what you're doing. Then you pack up and you do it all the next night. But you also pack up the van. You have to maybe sleep in the van because you've got an eight-hour drive to the next place, and hopefully the green room has a shower and maybe a washer and dryer so you can maybe do some laundry. Maybe. And, you know, back in Hagfish, we would have to pick, you know, are we going to have gas or food? Most of the times it was (laughs) gas, and we would just have to get to the next show, and maybe we could find some people that, and if we sold enough shirts... We could then have some sure. food, and it would just go from there. I remember one night we were driving out from uh, Dallas out to California, and we were like, well, we could maybe get a hotel, or we could just pull off to the side of the road. It's really nice now, and just grab about five or six hours of sleep, and then we'll finish off and get to the next gig, and that way we'll save money. We can maybe buy a hot dog, and that's what okay. we did. <laughs> And it causes uh, really good bonds, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it also causes strife, frustration. <laughs> you know, we argued a lot, but it, we're you're basically a family, you know. But you're you get tired of smelling, you get tired of seeing the same three to four people every day of yeah. your life. 
uh, back then, I think I spent, I think we had a $1,000 phone bill from Europe once. Wow. I would just get out of the van, look for a phone booth so I could call my wife and just have that touch, mm-hmm. have that, you know, lifeline at home. And like, all right, I'm good. Now I can do this. You know, I got to talk to her. I'm good. You know. When you when you made the move to Amarillo, yeah. did you think that might impact your career? Because oh, totally. I mean, this yeah. is not a music town. There's no. there's a music scene. There's a yeah. history. It's not Nashville. No, it's not even Dallas. You know, um, it's not L.A. So, what were your thoughts making that move here, and then also having this larger dream of, of playing music? I, at that time, that's why I think I was kind of going against it. Mm-hmm. But I did drive home a lot. Or I drove to Dallas a lot, and we would still tour. I think the first two to three years that we lived here, I still went and toured. Okay. You know? Um, then I just kind of got tired of it, because at that point, some of the bands, we weren't making money. Mm-hmm. I would come home after three weeks of tour with $40. Yeah. I, I don't like that. You know? it's it, it, You get a certain look um, from your partner's eyes of mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll take care of the bills this time, yeah, but in the future, yeah, you know, let's let's rethink this whole thing. So, and as a husband, you know, as a provider, you have to think of that. Okay, you really do. So, after a while, it kind of just got a little bit old. So, I kind of came home for a while, and then I found out about the toadies. Okay, did <laughs> when you came home, did you think, okay, I now have to get like a, a normal job or a and real I did. job? Yeah, I went to work at Hastings, and okay. I had already done that, and like in the just little things. I was never, I've never been the guy that's been like, oh, I'm just not going to work. I'm a musician, man. I don't have to work. Nah, I don't. I can't. I cannot do that. Okay, you know. I can. So I always worked in between tours. Right. And you stuff. just found something that would, would let you do that for a season yes. and then yeah. kind of yeah. pull but up this, stakes. And- one of these times I was like, this is going to be a good, well-paying job. I'm going to do this. Hmm. I'm home. You know, I'm home. You know, my wife was going to have some surgeries and stuff like that. I think uh, I think it was her, not her appendix, her gallbladder or something. So I wanted to be home for that, you know. And... Um, be able to take care of her and that kind of stuff and not be on the road, you know, smelling other people's yeah. shoes and socks. Plus, plus that was a real transitional time just for the music industry itself. I mean, it the really the way that bands <clears throat> made money was starting to change and you had Napster and you had online stuff starting and yeah. album sales decreasing, concert <laughs> revenue became sort of the driving force for a lot of that. And they I, did. Stuff uh, changed. Al- it kind of bent, like back in the day, the punk bands like from SST used to say they didn't, it used to be like you'd make a record and then you would tour. Mm-hmm. These guys used to make records so they could tour. They were like, no, nah, the, you know, the record promoted the tour. It wasn't vice versa. You know, and your question earlier touched back to that about how it was touring and stuff. If anyone's interested, they should read Get in the Van by Henry Rollins. Okay. It's uh, him depicting how he got into Black Flag and how it was. It's pretty close. It's it's very grim. But my brother and I read that and we were like, okay, we're yeah, good with that. We can do that. If that's what we need to do, then that's what we need to do. And I think that is just as much of a, you have to have that. You have to be willing to go sleep on someone's couch for two weeks. You have to be willing to smell. You have to be willing to maybe not have a great meal every day, you know, to do that. And so many people I've known and I've met who are 
far better musicians than I am, but they haven't done anything um, because they don't have that drive to go right. out and smell. Yeah, to, <laughs> to pay their dues, I guess. Literally to pay your dues. And it's harder to do that as the, the older you get. Mm -hmm. it, it, you have about a good finite period. I'd say about 30 is about mm -hmm. the end of it when you're just like, oh, okay, I think I'm done with this. If nothing else, you need to just have the energy to sustain you, yeah, that sort of lifestyle. To sustain you know? it. It's a big, it's a lot of, you do need a lot of energy. Okay, to so do let's that. let's talk about the Toadies. Tell me how that happened. Because that was that was an existing band. Yes. Yeah. Um so so what happened there? Well, I knew them uh, off and on. Like our Vaden, our singer, had a band when when the Toadies broke up, he started a band called the Burden Brothers that my brother Zach played with on and off, you know. Um, and Clark Vogler, our guitar player, I've known him since 1993, okay. you know, my wife used to work for his record label that they were on Arista. That's when she and I met, that's what she was doing. And so it's just all kind of, for lack of a better word, incestuous Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Dallas. It really is. Everybody knows everyone, you know? And so, um, I heard from a friend like, you know, the toadies might be, they might need another bass player. I think that. They're going to be doing some more shows. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, I'll send an email. And so I sent a message on their MySpace account. Okay. That's how long ago this yeah. was, 2008, you know. And um, I said, hey, this is Donnie. I just heard you guys might be looking for a bass player. I'd like to find out. And they got back to me. The management did and said, hey, would love to have you come down. It's a pick gig, all downstrokes, meaning you have to play with a pick. Right. And you can't go back and forth like most people do. It's all one way. Is so they, that had, okay? they had specific styles. And play? now that I know my singer, like, oh, well, that makes sense. Yes. Very specific kid, Vaden is. So, um, and they were like, is that okay with you? And I said, oh, I totally have that. I didn't have it. I was blowing so much hot air up their butts. <laughs> well, because that, I mean, you, you know how to play, but you also play in a... That that muscle memory is there, and if you, it wasn't though. I played. I'm a completely different player. Really? I played with my fingers, okay. bass. I had never played with a pick ever in my life. So, I was like, "You got it," and I went. And then I called my brother, like, "Oh my god, what am I gonna do?" And he goes, "I guess we'll just have to figure this out," you know. And he was in Colorado making uh, "Appeal to Reason," this uh, the first Rise Against record that he was on. So I went up and hung out with him for probably. Three or four days, something mm -hmm. like that. And he just showed me some little rudiments and things that I could do and stuff and kind of helped me along with the songs and just really helped me a lot. And then I went and I think about like a couple of weeks later, I went for the audition mm -hmm. and I was in and out like in, I think I'd shown up and half hour later I was back in my car and I called my wife and she was like, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. And then they called me the next day and said I had the gig. Hmm. So why why do you think? I mean, do you do you think there's something I, apart I, from your your playing that that they liked? I or? think I think it was because I had toured so much. Mm -hmm. Um I knew them. I don't know. I think it was just that I had experience because they tried out probably five or six guys. Okay. And there was one guy I know who is a really good player, but he went in playing with his fingers. So if he hadn't have done that, he probably would have gotten the gig, I think. But there's also something to <clears throat> personality, too. I mean, you're going to have a band. You're going to be together. You're going to be playing together. Like, you could have the best talent in the world, but yeah. 
how many bands are broken up because they have oh, creative yeah. differences. So you also need somebody who can who can mesh with the existing group. True, and they probably regret their decision. <laughs> I guarantee you. <laughs> Too late. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what it's like because I, I'm really interested in this. You know, there's a there's a lot of bands like the Toadies that start out with a roster and then that roster changes. Mm -hmm. And you know, they're they're still playing new stuff, but they're playing stuff that, that's part of their back catalog. And yeah. and if you're coming in as a new member of an existing band, oh, yeah. like is that is that difficult? I mean, obviously difficult from a technical standpoint because you're playing with people. But like, you've also got this fan base that might stretch back 15 years. And they're like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, we remember the old guy. Oh, that's what they did. I had people that um, asked me, are you are you the girl? Because it was Lisa mm -hmm. that used to be in the band. Like, no, I'm not Lisa Umarker. <laughs> what do you think? And a lot of people at the first the first year, it took them a bit to get used to. But it was, I mean, I was a huge fan of the band also. Mm -hmm. But they were the band in Dallas-Fort Worth that they played, their playing wasn't like everyone else's. You know, they were okay, but they had amazing songs. And the screamer, that, this singer that would just scream, bloody murder, everybody loved them. So when they got signed... Everyone else was like, they got signed? Hmm. Oh, brother, we'll see. And then they went and made Rubberneck, and we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, I, I bought it the same as everyone. Whenever mm -hmm. it came out, we saw them. They just became an amazing band. So to sit there the first time, I geeked out a little bit playing these songs with them. And I still do it, you know? I mean, to see, we go into Tyler and to see people really really get happy mm -hmm. and not just oh and scream and oh i love this song no they really do love that song you know and to see that it never gets old night after night after night after night and we never get tired of playing that stuff i know people say oh we don't get tired of it we really don't get tired yeah. of it it's kind of hard to see that the reaction from people you know you you don't get tired of that like you're bringing joy to someone you know so that was uh, there was a lot of weight on my shoulders to do that correctly and to play with them because they're not the normal band you know i'm used to punk bands everything's mm -hmm. one two three four it's right on that that's not like that with them they're way 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 based in acdc okay zz top and talking heads you have to play you have to feel more challenging than for you. incredibly challenging you know and just not doing the, the way i was used to doing things i had to learn so much and just be on my toes you did you know? think it was going to be a temporary gig i mean yeah I you're, you're 14 15 years later now and still yeah. doing it so is that i think i got the gig okay is that a surprise though like did you think i'll, I'll help them out for this, this we tour? Didn't yeah we didn't think it was going to go on um they had made no deliverance that record so it was just the three of them mm -hmm. vaden went and played bass on that you know and because he had played bass on hell below stars above as well so he was just like, I'll just play. They had the guy that they had been playing with them had left. He was just filling in, but he had gotten like a really good job and he didn't want to go on tour. So Vaden was like, I'll just play the bass on this one. And so they really just needed me for like the rest of the year. But it went so good. Mm -hmm. The response was going so well that they were like, let's just keep doing this, you know? And we just kept at it, you know, and now we're going to make another record, you know, next year. Has it has it worked 
for you to still be touring with them and living in Amarillo? I mean, oh, has that totally. been something you've had to navigate or? No, oh, yeah, it's been, well, like our guitar player, Clark, he used to live in this town called Guerneville that was just right out of Santa Rosa in California. He moved to California soon, whenever the band broke up in 2002, I believe it was, he went to film editing school. Hmm. He was like, ah, I have some money. I'm putting it into college. And he became a film editor and edited, uh, gosh, um, America's Next Top Model, Project okay. Runway. He got nominated for so many Grammys, you know. A couple of other movies like Air Guitar Nation, he edited that. Really, really, he's got a really cool eye, you know. And he's not leaving California at all. So now he lives a little bit north of San Francisco. We're always clowning him like, hey, why don't you move to Austin? Mm -hmm. or, or why don't you move back to Texas? Back to Texas. So we we figure it all out that okay. way. Whenever we have to do things, we just fly into Fort Worth where our rehearsal space is, and we're good. All right. You know? So I I know beyond <clears throat> you know playing bass for the Toadies, you've you've got a few other interests. Um, you know that you you've written a book. Yes, um, I did. I know that uh, you've got some martial arts experience, yes, and that's kind of tied to the book. And yeah, what that's about. Tell me, tell me about that. The book came about because whenever I stopped, uh, whenever I got into playing bass, my brother and I had been doing taekwondo. We loved it. We wanted to be ninjas. You know, every kid. Yeah. Who didn't? You know, and we saw all the Shokasugi and Chuck Norris movies, and we're like, "Well, I want to do that." You know, before we wanted to be musicians, and then we stopped it. Um, at a time, we're like, oh, we're into guitars now, so we're just going to do music. And I always regretted that. So Toadie said some time off, and I went to uh, Master Kim's Taekwondo okay. and just started all over and loved it. I got hurt a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and kind of decided to write a book about it. I just wrote a couple of chapters and sent them to this publisher that just dealt in martial arts stuff. Okay. And they... They liked it and paired me with this really good editor. And I, I've i read it a couple of times, or it's just been really weird to read it, you know? Really weird. And I, I actually like it, though. So I've gotten some nice feedback from people that have liked it. Tell me what it's like to, to start learning martial arts as an adult. Because when you talk about Master Kim's, I, I picture that as... You know, that's, that's where a bunch of 10 or 12-year-olds are first learning the thing. And then all of a sudden, this old, you know... I felt like Kramer and Seinfeld. Yeah, exactly. You know that episode? Like, that, that's, that's exactly a how hilarious I Hilarious episode. <laughs> that's, there were some people, there, uh, they weren't my age. A, a couple of them were, actually. They were my age, but they, um, they were doing it for fun. I don't do things for fun. Okay. I, I have a goal, always a goal with things. And um, it was weird. It was a little weird doing that. And after I got my black belt, I got a little disillusioned, you know. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to keep doing martial arts. So that's when I fell into jujitsu. Okay. Know? And that was a whole nother mind scramble, you know. So but, tell me where your proficiencies are then. You've got a black belt in yes, Taekwondo. Sir. Yes, sir. What about jujitsu? Uh, I just got my blue belt. Okay. And then in March, I started about five years ago, but I took some time off from it. I'd messed my knee up pretty bad. Then the band got busy. Okay. Then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And like, well, now what am, am I going to do? So I just kind of relaxed around a little bit and tried to stay in shape. But that whole itch started coming in. It's uh, if anyone's done jujitsu, 
it, it kind of worms into your head okay. where you're just constantly thinking about, well, I could do this. Oh, I could do that. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me what that's like, because yeah. I, I know a lot of people, you know, maybe if they think about doing something like that, mm-hmm. it's, <clears throat> well, I, I want to get in shape or I dreamed of being a ninja when I was a kid and this looks like fun. I could take some <laughs> night classes at Emerald College or something mm-hmm. like that. Like it's, it's different to do that versus you who have gone into it with a goal. Let's say you want to get your black belt and it's it, like, there's a lot of discipline to that. So there is, it's what's not, the difference? What's the mindset with you versus what, you know, well, casual jujitsu might be true. I, well, like with Taekwondo, you can safely get your black belt probably in three to four years. Okay. Jiu-jitsu, you cannot. It takes right. 10 to 12 years. There is no casual jiu-jitsu. Is there is no saying? casual. I mean, there is, but you don't last if it's casual okay. jujitsu. Once, you're in and you're like, oh, God, this has me hook, line, and sinker. It's not casual anymore, you know. It's uh, just such a different mindset, you know. It's uh, And I've heard a lot of people at my age, I'm 50 right now, and a lot of people are like, oh, I'm too old for that. Like, no, you're not, hmm. you know. It puts you in the, if you can just show up every day or show up three times a week, it puts you in the best shape of your life and you eventually just... It becomes like a another coat that you just put okay. on. Sometimes, you know, you put on a brand new coat and then it's just itchy and it just takes a bit, but you know this coat is going to be so amazing. Or like a pair of Doc Martin boots, right? Okay. Same thing. At first they suck. You hate them. They're going to rub your heels raw. But then after a while, you're so glad you got them. That's what this is like. You just have to wear your body down to where you're just used to the discipline okay. of it, you know? Is there a community aspect of it? Oh, that's the best part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a fellowship, you know, and it doesn't matter when you walk into the place, whatever you are on the outside of that, it doesn't matter what you believe in, who you believe in, who you voted for. No one cares. It is what you do on the mat. You slap knuckles with someone, you go for it. I've had so many times people just literally trying to strangle the life out of me. All I got to do is tap. After that, they're giving me a huge hug. And hmm. like, hey, great role, man. Because you you tend to meet the real person, you know. You get by with a lot of that stupid facade of what makes people, you know. It's like icing. If the cake is great, then you can, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But if the cake sucks, who cares what you put on top of it? So you get to really mean like the cake of people. <laughs> It doesn't matter their icing, their beliefs, their presets, something that might keep you from talking to someone. You get to the nitty gritty of that person and you get to meet, oh, this is a good person. I trust this person. You have to, because if not, they can strangle the life out of you or break your, literally break your bones. Right. You know, if they want to, you can tap all you want, but they can still break you if they want. So it takes an inordinate amount of trust with those people. Okay. What's know? what's that community like in Amarillo? Like maybe speaking oh. larger, like the, the larger martial arts community, it's is it is it a thing here that um feels substantial to you that maybe yes. I don't recognize being outside of that? It really is. It's it that discipline specifically is a community wide, like everywhere I've gone, like in the last Toadies tour, I would go and to different academies, mm-hmm. and I found the exact same thing. Okay, it was a, this is a microcosm of the bigger jujitsu community, but the people that are here at Guto, where I go to, are just fantastic. You know, um, there's not 
sometimes you can run into some people who just want to hurt people. Sure. They don't last long, you know. There's been a few people we've had who just wanted to hurt someone and uh, they got they got their butts whipped. I'll just say that. Okay. <laughs> By other people and then they left and they didn't come back at all. You know. I want to close this section um, by bringing it back to Amarillo because, you know, obviously you've lived here now for, for 20 plus years. Yes. You've, you've maintained your career. You've done some interesting things. Um, what about this city keeps you here? I mean, it, it seems like it might be easier for you to be, you know, the musician you are someplace sure. else. There are a few hurdles, but. I would th- you would think that. But I think these days, I mean, like Amarillo has an airport. That's all I need. Okay. I love the fact that I used to think that I wanted to go back to a bigger city, Austin or Dallas or something like that. And now when I go and visit those cities, I can't wait to get out of them. Hmm. You know, um, I literally love not not to coin the song, but wide open spaces of this place. You know, we'll go up to um, Farnsworth to visit my wife's family. And I love just literally that you can see forever. You know, I love... The people, how nice they are. It's genuinely nice people, you know. Again, they don't care what you are. They don't care who you are. They don't care what you do in your life. Like, they're very nice to you, you know. It's a genuine thing. It's a, it's a really good question. I don't have a great answer for it. I know it. <laughs> but it's more of an ambiguous answer that I would have. I just love everything about it. You know, it's kind of where my wife and I've lived longer than we've lived anywhere. We've been here for 22 years now, and I don't see us moving, especially. We just love our house. We love our neighborhood, and we have a great time here, you know, and we can see the larger world. This week's podcast is supported by the communication department at West Texas A&M University. WT offers nationally recognized degree programs in digital media, digital journalism, communication studies, advertising, public relations, and the fully online strategic communication emphasis. Now, so many media professional friends of mine, people like Wilson Lemieux, Andy Justice, Jackie Kingston, Wendy Swope, they are products of this program. So is my daughter. I really love this program at WT. And the campus radio station, KWTS, you might know it as 91.1, The One, is at the heart of this department, and it will be celebrating its 50th anniversary this year at WT's homecoming on October 1st. You can hear KWTS alumni on the radio from 2 to 6 p.m. on that day, plus a live remote set up in the tailgating area near the stadium. To learn more, check out wtamu.edu slash the one. That's T-H-E-O-N-E, the one. This episode is also supported by Purpose and Passion Boutique. Located in Wolfland Village, Purpose and Passion combines shopping with great causes. The gifts you buy there are gifts that give back. They're gifts that have a purpose. I love the story and the focus of this shop, and I even interviewed owner Kristen DeWright for the podcast back in May of this year. In September and October, a percentage of all sales at Purpose and Passion will benefit the park, the Panhandle Adult Rebuilding Center, which is an organization I love. Visit Purpose and Passion Boutique in Wolfland Village, or shop online at purposeandpassionboutique.com. Okay, I'm back with Donovan Blair. Uh, Donnie, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight nice. Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. Awesome. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its transportation collection includes several historic bicycles 
including a 19th century penny farthing. That's the the scary one with the giant front wheel. Um, as well as a bright yellow 1970s era Schwinn Super Sport bicycle, which is just the coolest bike that they've got oh, up there. That's awesome. um, so you can see those, learn more about that at panhandleplanes.org. Okay, first question. When you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I would like to see more music venues, mm-hmm. actually. Um, back when we moved here, there were quite a few, and bands would always come through here and stay and play. And mainly they would use it kind of like, oh, we can make yeah. some gas money or something. Stop over. And-, and it was partly because of Hastings and Anderson and all of the buyers that were here and bands would come through, you know, I mean... People don't know this, but it, like Jay-Z was here. Garth Brooks was here. You know, my wife met all these people yeah. here because she was a buyer and did things. But they would come do like private shows at, at Hastings. Totally. Yeah. And she stuff. saw all this stuff and she would meet these guys and all this stuff. And then they would come in, then they'd fly out and no one knew it, you right. know? And that was a great thing. So we were always seeing cool acts. I would like to see that again in 10 years. You know, I think with the other bigger companies that are coming in. I hope that brings in more of like a better arena. I know Mm -hmm. they're talking about doing that downtown. I think that is needed because I think it would really help. They're really trying to do some cool stuff downtown that I like a lot. It's um, they're really putting a lot of money into that and focus. Well, and I, I know the Toadies are, are playing a show at Starlight Ranch. Yes, and um, we're excited Just a couple of weeks. That, what do you think about that as a venue? Have Have you played there before, or will this be the first time? I haven't time? played. This will be the first okay. time I have been there, though. Uh, last summer, I went and saw some, I can't remember the act who I went and saw, but I loved it. I think they have a really nice setup. Since then, I've heard that they've updated their PA mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, we're pretty excited, you know. I'm Obviously, I am. I'm looking forward to a good turnout, you know. It's a it's a fun place to go to a show. That's I imagine what I heard. It's probably fun, yeah, to play if you've got a good crowd there. So. Oh gosh, yeah, and it's always a great crowd here. Okay, other than wind, what does this area have too much of? A uh, poop smell from the cows out okay. in Hereford. <laughs> Way too much, especially whenever you leave, like from having a steak. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like karma. Like, you don't oh, you don't want okay. those two things to to remind you what's nope. what's just happened there. That and a lot of like. Like bad restaurants that can just kill you. My wife and I have this, we have this idea that there's like a consortium of like a, just heart doctors that mm-hmm. own all of these like restaurants that can just kill you. Yeah. And so that way everyone goes to them. It's the just fried heart food surgery. consortium to just kind of juice the business. <laughs> it's like a fried food Illuminati. Yeah. They're just made up of heart surgeons. That, may, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm just saying... That's what I think we have too much Let's of. Let's do some you know. investigative journalism into that. I'm going to leave that for you. I'm okay. just a bass player. So. What does this area not have enough of? Uh, gosh, that is a good uh, question. Um, I would like to see some more healthy places. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not an incredibly great healthy eater. I try to watch it because you can't do what we what they do every day and go to class and just can't survive eat. on hot dogs not anymore Roadside i'm not a 50 year old man if i do i won't survive very much longer but like uh an heb mm-hmm. something like that you know i'm I'm glad that hopefully we're gonna get fun stuff like a bucky's you know uh you know panera bread things like that you know but a couple of more um i i don't want to say vegetarian vegan 
I'm not a vegetarian or vegan by any stretch, but I think just more things that were, would open that up okay. to give everyone some healthier options to combat, you know, the heart fried food Illuminati, you know, okay. we got to look out for that, man. We really do. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Oh, I just describe it as a great place to live. You know, I get a, a lot of people like, well, do you live in Dallas and Fort Worth? Like, no, I live in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I love it there. It's a great place. It's I can have a great living there. It's um, no one is full of crud. I'm not going to go blue, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, that's what I love about this place specifically is people look you in the eye, and they will give you the time of day, and they can figure out if you're full of it or not. And so many other towns, there's so many people that are full of themselves or want to project something that they aren't. I don't find that here. Everyone okay. is pretty much what you see is what you get. And that's what I fall in love with here. It's a big town that wears their heart on their sleeves, but also they're not going to let you get anything past them. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I li- And I deal with a lot of people who are full of it in my life. <laughs> so to come home and not have that is such a nice feeling. <laughs> Do you feel like you... When you tell people you're from Amarillo and they have this preconceived idea of what Amarillo is, do you feel like you sort of upend their expectations? Yes. They don't expect somebody like you, mm-hmm. you know, to to live in a cowboy place or a place that they yeah. know for the big Texan or something like that. Yeah, a lot of them think that. But it's like they don't know that there's a huge underground, not even underground, there's a huge art scene here. Mm-hmm. There's a huge, uh, just, it, it's a great seen here for a lot of people are doing great music they're doing great art literature books there's all kinds of that stuff here people just don't see it they just think big texan right rodeo that and that kind of stuff and it's kind of like okay it's like a magic trick you do this thing over here but you're really doing this, right you know Slide so to hand. me yeah it's you know, the other art and all of that that's what amarillo is to me because i know so many people in that scene and they really are trying to make Amarillo even bigger in that regard. Okay. They're trying to make a bigger scene of that, you know. They're doing what they can. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? I love 6th Street. Okay. I love going down that. It's, I just, every city has a 6th Street, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just so much fun with the coffee shops and all the bakeries and just everything down there. I love going down there and hanging out and just walking. My wife and I used to have uh, scooters, yeah. you know. And so they weren't Vespas. We couldn't afford Vespas, but they were close to it. But we would go to any of the biker bars that had their bikes, and we would back them up along with the bikes and stuff like that. And, you know, we'd get dirty looks, but what are you going to That sounds like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite local restaurant? Ooh. I'm going with it's it's. Can I do two? Yeah, sure. Okay, I can't pick between uh, Blue Sky or Golden Light. Okay. Either of those, they have the best burgers in the world. And that's one of the reasons my singer loves playing Amarillo, so he can go get a burger at Blue Sky. Okay. Hands down. Now, that's really interesting because Blue Sky is a little bit newer on the burger scene. Of course, the Golden Light Burger is legendary. Oh, um, so good. Dude, you, you can't choose between one of those? They're, they're kind of equal in your mind? I can't. I, one day I'll eat like, oh, this is amazing. And then the next day I'll eat another one like, oh, this is amazing too. But... We, I, I do love the staff at Blue Sky. We're mm-hmm. there a lot. We're there probably 
once a week. Okay. I'll probably be there this Friday. It's one of my favorite places to go. So <laughs> Robert and everyone are just amazing people, you know. Okay, what's your favorite local coffee shop? Oh gosh. Coffee. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm gonna go with Palace or 806. Okay. I love both people. Patrick and Crystal are just amazing, but then also so is Jason at 806. Yeah. They're all just amazing people. And they have the best coffee in town, you know. Love the environment. You don't feel like you're just in a normal coffee shop. You also don't feel like you're going to go in and, you know, if you say the wrong thing, they're going to clown you or something yeah. like that, you know. And both. And uh, I know Patrick has worked his rear off to get that place off the ground. They have a great thing. They really do. And just how they present themselves, how they do things. It's just, it's a really cool place. It's very relaxing. I love going there and drinking coffee that's actually where i wrote my book really i wrote probably 75 percent of it the one downtown that's true for a number of different writers i know that have written it was weird i can't go and write with like if we didn't say anything like that yeah too quiet god i couldn't do it it's the everyone talking at a palace or like just at a coffee shop that lets it the same thing, sleight of hand. It tricks my brain into kind of like keys with mm-hmm. a kid or a dog. So my, you know, I can do the real work. Okay. You know, it keeps my brain's attention. Yeah. And I would always go to Palace and just, I felt comfortable there. All right. So we mentioned this just a second ago. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Oh, that was a long time ago. God, probably almost 20 years ago. Okay. Hagfish were playing here with Bowling for Soup, actually, at Brewster's when it was Okay. Around. Yeah. And, um... We went the next day, and a lot of people that were in our group, my singer, his brother, and a couple of other folks were pretty. They had some inebriates. Yeah, sure. They were a little uh, drunk. They were a little worse for the wear and went there and decided to do the, the big steak challenge. So we all put our money in on two people to do it. And... They didn't do it. Neither you one know? did. They got on the stage with the little cowboy hats. Yeah. And I think uh, Eric, who was our guitar tech and our singer's little brother, he ended up throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> and it was hilarious because when he did, like everybody in the place was cheering them on. It was a cool thing. There's probably like 50 people in the restaurant. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Eric leans over to throw up. <laughs> You could hear everyone, oh, yeah. God. Because everybody else is eating at the time. So that's like the worst possible outcome. I haven't been there since. Actually, no, what? You know what? I forgot. I went a couple years after that and had breakfast with 1100 Springs. Okay. That's what it was. So then it just negates my previously yeah, well, cool either story. Way, either way, fun story. But so. I, I can't uh, lie to you. I've known you too long, Jason. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's one mm-hmm. thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? I would say uh, Guto, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. 100%. I've sent a couple of friends there, and I think it's, uh, if you're of that mind, Martial arts are more about you, you mm-hmm. know. A lot of people do martial arts so they don't get into fights. You think you want to do martial arts so you can defend yourself sure, and all that. Sure. That's a byproduct. You learn this much is just about defending yourself. You learn so much about yourself and people and things you can do and about what you're able to do. Being able to defend yourself and, you know... I don't want to say beat someone up in a fight because that's not the point. It's defend yourself, then you get out of there. 
that's such a small part of it. You know, I think if people go in and just uh, kind of think about that and just like the people that you can meet, it, it, it pretty much changes your life. Okay. You know, and just opens up your brain to so many different things and how your body moves, you know, how it moves with other people, you know, and really discovering other people, you know, and it just really, it's really, really, really hard to do. So you got to be a certain kind of nutcase to want to stick with it. Okay. But there's a guy, uh, Chad Smith, that owns American Vengeance, yep. and uh, David Parker. He, uh, They're both the owners of it, and they've hired this great man, uh, Professor uh, Philemon Tejera. He's the main instructor there, and he's just a fantastic coach. And it's just a really, really good place. It's not lunkheads or anything. Okay. Everyone's there to propel the art of jujitsu, you know, and not, oh, I tapped you out. Who cares? And where's it located? It is, that's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> Behind Guitar Center off of Sonic right. it's kind of nestled in a little nook, you know, you kind of got to want it to find it. Okay. But anyone's interested, it's Guto, G-U-E-T-H-O, B-J-J. Fantastic place. I couldn't recommend it and just the people that are there. Very, very, very welcoming and some people have thought that they're just going to get creamed when they come in, and that's not what happens at all. It's such a warm atmosphere to be a place where you get strangled. Yeah, you know? okay. Everybody <laughs> keep that in mind. Know that going in. Know it it's going all cool. in. They're going to be really nice to you, and then you might get strangled. Right. <laughs> but you will love it. Well, Donovan Blair, thank you so much for being on the thank podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate I it. I really appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Donovan for the interview. Remember, the Toadies are playing a show here in Amarillo on Thursday, September 15th at Starlight Ranch. You can get tickets at starlightranch.com. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and also to sponsors Discover Amarillo, KWTS The One, Purpose and Passion Boutique, and of course, Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring the show. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because you are listening to it. So thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. And also because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarello. Heyamarello's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 264. My name is Jason Boyette. And I'll see you next week.